If you have your Bible, then please turn to 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. If you have been tuning, have you not been tuning into this morning's live stream, uh, we, are, we have been going through 1 John for the past few months. So today we are in chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and I will begin reading from verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If this question doesn't make you feel old, uh, I wonder if you remember the time you were in grade seven or grade eleven to grade twelve. If you remember in high school, you get to choose which science courses you want to study. Uh, you get us biology, physics, and chemistry. But how would you classify science? How would you classify science? Well, a simple way to do this is, if it's green or it wiggles, it's biology. If it stinks, it is chemistry. If it doesn't work, it is physics. Now, I personally love science, with the exception of physics and chemistry. Biology was the science course that I didn't flunk in school. And in one of the sections in biology, you learn about the heart and the circulatory system. It just talks about how the blood, how the blood flows from the heart into the artery and then to the veins and back to the heart, thus providing nutrients to the whole body. And if the artery is clogged and is, and is disrupting the blood flow, you may experience cardiac arrest. And as a church, as the body of Christ, truth, obedience, and love are like the circulatory system of the church. And if the spiritual arteries get clogged, if truth, obedience, and love are, are not flowing within the church family, the church might be in danger of spiritual cardiac arrest. Now, if you remember what this letter is about in 1 John, it is about the assurance of salvation. And John has given us some tests for how we can know that we, are etern that we have eternal life. There's a doctrinal test, which addresses the issue of truth. There is the moral test, which addresses the issue of obedience. And there is the, the relational test, which addresses the issue of love. 
And John will address specifically in this passage on the relational test, the love issue. And if you remember my previous message, John challenged us not uh, John challenged us to take sin seriously. And he summarized the teaching in verse 10, where John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Children of the devil, they don't practice righteousness. They don't belong to God. And in fact, John says they do not love the brothers. Why does this person not belong to God just because he or she doesn't belong or doesn't love the brother and sister in Christ? Well, John answers that question in verse 11. It is this question and this teaching on love that that transitions us to today's passage. It is because, John says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It is because we should know, ever since our conversion, ever since we have come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, ever since uh, we have a relationship with Jesus, we have known, we have learned that we should love one another. This is a simple message that John wants us to know and apply into our lives. And so I titled this morning's message in a form of a question. Is your life marked by love for one another? Is your life marked by love for one another? Now, this is not the first time that John talked about love. He mentioned the new commandment back in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. And this new commandment is referring to Jesus' teaching in John chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. Jesus deepens our understanding of the commandment to love one another. We are to love one another just as Jesus loved his disciples, and that is sacrificial love. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 11 to 11, 7 to 11, in summary, loving one another shows that you are in the light. Hating your brother shows not only that you are a child of the devil, but you are in darkness, that you walk in darkness, and that you are spiritually blind. The children of the devil, they hate the children of God. However, the children of God are marked by love for one another. And having told the believers to love one another in verse 11, John instructs believers what not to do. And he talks about Cain and the world as examples of the lack of love for believers. And then later on, John will tell us how we are to love one another. And so in this morning's message, there are just two very simple points. First, the children of the devil hate the children of God. And second, the children of God are marked by love for one another. So first, the children of God, the children of the devil hate the children of God. And we see in verse 12, the hatred was exemplified by Cain. Hatred was exemplified by Cain. John says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? 
because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Now, in this letter of 1 John, this is the only time that John makes a direct reference to the Old Testament as an illustration to make his point. John uses Cain as an example of someone who did not love his brother and killed him. Out of all the examples that he could have given in the Old Testament, it is interesting that John uses Cain. And I think John uses Cain as an example because it happened immediately after the fall in Genesis chapter 3. It happened way in the beginning of the story of the Bible. And if you're not familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, then you could always tune into my sermon that I preached back in 2016, or you can read Genesis 4 for yourself. But let me just summarize the story for you. Cain, he was the firstborn of Adam and Eve, and Abel was, the little, was his little brother. Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a herdsman. Both of them made an offering to God one day, but God... He accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And so Cain was very, very angry, and he murdered Abel. And notice that in, in, this, in, in John's letter, that John says that Cain was of the evil one, meaning that, meaning that he was the child of the devil. And what you need to know is that Genesis chapter 4 was the first hatred, first murder, First physical murder, first bitter anger, first irresponsibility for the well-being of the community and family, first brotherhood, and first enmity or hostility. John then offers a commentary on Genesis chapter 4 by asking this question, and why did he murder him? Why did Cain murder Abel? Genesis never explicitly explained why Cain murdered Abel, we can only make assumptions and speculations based on just the pure reading of Genesis chapter 3 and 4. John, however, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, gives us an explanation. It's because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Cain's deeds were evil. He was envious of Abel. He hated his brother, whereas Abel's deeds were righteous meaning that he did what was righteous. He did what was right in the eyes of God. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, the author of Hebrews offers another insightful commentary on Genesis chapter 4. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And the reason why God accepted Abel's offering was because he did it by faith, whereas Cain lacked faith. And Charles Spurgeon, he made a really good comment about Cain's character here, of why, of the fact that he was evil. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says, and I quote, that was the real evil at the bottom of his great crime, it was the wickedness of Cain's character that made him hate the good that was in Abel. When you see a man filled with hate and envy and malice, it is because his own life is not holy. And there is no exception to this rule. True holiness and love always go together. Where love is absent, holiness must be absent too. End quote. 
Now, this story of Cain and Abel offers us count, countless practical considerations for the 21st century. Cain murdered Abel not because of his ethnicity, not because of his skin color, not because of his gender, not because of his political views. Cain murdered Abel because his deeds were evil and his heart was filled with hatred. And in fact, if you have not yet noticed the emphasis here in this passage, Cain murdered his brother, not someone else's family member. He murdered his brother, his own family member, his own little brother. And this connects nicely to verse 15, where we learn that hatred is murder. Hatred is murder. John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Intense hatred and animosity against someone often leads to murder. However, John is saying that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now, John here is not necessarily speaking of literal murder, but the attitude that you have towards other fellow believers and other people. And John is most likely referencing the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 22. You have heard that it was said of, to, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, Jesus was talking about the issue of anger, unrighteous anger, bitter anger that entails the destruction of the person in the heart. You see, a person who has a combination of anger and hatred will eventually unleash chaos around him or her. Kind of some of the things we are seeing around the world, especially in the States. You see, you may never murder someone. You may never murder someone physically, but have you ever wished that someone was dead in your life? Have you ever imagined that this individual, maybe at work he got the promotion, or maybe in university, this person made it to the, to the team, or in high school, this person got an honor roll and you didn't? Did you, have you ever imagined this person would be gone from your life? Jesus is teaching that a murderer is what is conceived in the heart because you murdered that person in your thoughts. See, whether you murder someone physically or through your imagination, you're equally guilty before the Lord. And, and, and you are in sin that needs to be, be repented of. Furthermore, we learn in verse, 11, verse 13 that hatred from the world is normal for the church. Hatred from the world is normal for the church. John says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Believers are like Abel, as the world is like Cain. Heaven warned us not to be like Cain, who hates his brother, John is warning us that the world hates us. And we should not be surprised by that reality. 
We have already learned the world hates us, hates believers because they hated Christ first. They hate us because we do not belong to the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are called not to love the world nor the things in this world. And since we as children of God desire to live in holiness and walk in truth, walk in love, and walk by faith, the world will hate that which is good that we are pursuing. Paul said that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. However, is it fair fair to say that we are experiencing persecution and hatred from the world in Canada? Well, in North America, we are tremendously blessed to have religious liberty, that we can worship freely without the fear of persecution. It is not like the third world countries where Christianity is constantly under attack, the Bible is being burned, and the churches are being controlled by the government. But believers can be hated by the world here in Canada when we confront its values with the word of truth, such as addressing the issue of relativism, individualism, humanism, the LGBTQ plus stuff, materialism, an abortion, and maybe a host of other things. Children of God can be hated when we declare the exclusivity of Christ, where we declare that Jesus Christ is the only way For salvation, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the world will hate us for that. The world will hate us for for being narrow-minded. Well, technically, the way of salvation is narrow. It is exclusive because that's what Jesus said. There might be a day when teaching God's word would get you arrested or fined by the world. And we should not be fearful of that. We should not be fearful of the fact that the world hates us. We should not be surprised when we are doing the will of God in our lives, the world will hate us and say bad things about us and will slander us and make accusations against us. We should not be surprised by that. At the same time, there may be some very, very rare exceptions You may have friends in your life that knows everything that you believe about the Bible. They know that they are in sin. They know that they are going to hell if they don't repent of their sins and trust Christ for salvation. They know all that. They know your stance on morality. They know your stance on sexuality. But yet, they still love you and want to remain friends with you. If then you have friends like that, well, then you're greatly blessed. Usually that's that's a rare exception. But in general, this world, the system of this world, belongs to the evil one. And the devil, he hates God's people. And so it's not a surprise that his follower would do the same as well. And since John, in this, in this part of the letter, is speaking to the children of God like us, and he uses the example of Cain as a child of the devil, the issue of love and hate it's a family issue. It's a family issue. Cain, he murdered his brother. It's a family issue. And since the church is a, is a family of God, there will bound to be nominal Christians among the church family who are like Cain. 
You see, remember, the, the backdrop of this letter in 1 John is that there were false believers and false teachers in the church that taught false teachings, and they left the church subsequently, and they brought, and they took some, some people with them. They claimed to know God. They claimed to have a relationship with God, and they claimed to have this exoteric knowledge, but they have dis- may have despised the true believers who are not having this so-called knowledge. A person who professes to be a Christian and yet hates his or her brother and, and sister in Christ, not only is this person walking in darkness, not only is this person a child of the devil, but this person is spiritually dead. This shows that there is no spiritual life, there is no eternal life in that person to begin with. And we learn at the end of verse 14 and and at the end of verse 15 that hatred is a proof of spiritual death. Hatred is a proof of spiritual death. John says, whoever does not love abides in death. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What more can I say? One cannot claim to know God and love God when he or she hates the church family. Now, let me just speak to those who may have a bad experience with church. For those of you who say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. I don't like the church because I have been hurt by the church. And if that is you this morning, I just want to say, if you have been hurt by the church, that is not normal. It is not normal for you to be hurt by the church. A church. The church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a place of love, a community, a hospital for sinners. And, and the church of Jesus Christ, however, at the same time, is not always perfect. She is being sanctified. She is growing to love one another. The church is never perfect. However, at the same time, let me also challenge you of this of these words that you cannot say you love Jesus Christ while at the same time hate that which he loves. What does he love? He loves the church. Church is his is his bride. So we, it's impossible to say that we love Christ yet at the same time hate the church. Those two cannot go together. We cannot say that. We must love that which Jesus loves. And so I do want to challenge you, encourage you with those thoughts. Because John would later on say this in chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Knowing that the children of the devil hate the children of God, we will now turn our attention to the children of God who are called to love one another. The children of God, the children of God are marked by love for one another. You see, and we see in verse 16 that love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. John says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John is giving us a positive example of what love looks like. It is when we see and look at Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. 
we see his sacrificial love. You see, at the beginning of verse 16, we learn and we see that love is exemplified by Jesus. Love was exemplified by Jesus. He laid down his life for us. And John Stott once said this about God's holy love. And I quote, At the cross, in holy love, God through Christ paid the full penalty of our disobedience himself. He, pour, he bore the judgment we deserve in order to bring us the forgiveness we do not deserve. On the cross, divine mercy and justice were equally expressed and eternally reconciled. God's holy love was satisfied. End quote. God's holy love was satisfied in Christ Jesus at the cross. This is the gospel message, the good news of salvation. We were spiritually dead, and yet Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the propitiation for our sins. He paid the penalty that, of, our, of our sins that we should have paid. He laid down his life for his sheep. And you see, Jesus Christ did not lay down his life for the righteous. Jesus Christ did not die for the godly. Jesus Christ did not die for you just because there was something good in you or you were special. No, according to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10, Paul says that Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the unrighteous. He died for sinners. And in fact, listen to this, Christ died for his enemies. We were his enemies, and yet Christ died for us. That is how God shows his love for us. And it is perhaps possible for us to sacrifice our lives for the people we love, like our church family or our family members. But can we ever, ever imagine ourselves laying down our lives for our enemies, for those who hate us? Jesus Christ did. He laid down his life for his enemies. And at the cross, the cross shows us the deep, deep love of Jesus for us. And it is this kind of love that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, that surpasses all knowledge. This love is incomprehensible. John is saying that is what love looks like. That is what love looks like. Jesus' sacrificial love lays out an example for all believers to follow. They are to love their brothers and sisters in Christ that way. And so we learn at the end of verse 16 that love is imitating the love of Christ. Love is imitating the love of Christ. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John already said that whoever abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. How? How can we love one another? Like Jesus, is, like how Jesus loved us. Well, it does not necessarily mean dying on the cross the same way Jesus died. It might not mean dying for our enemies the same way Jesus died for his enemies like us. It definitely does not mean atoning for other people's sins. 
how we can love one another like Christ is found everywhere in the New Testament. You just need to read through the New Testament. You will learn what it means to love one another like Christ. But John gives one hypothetical example for us in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now, it is not often the case that we would get to have an opportunity to sacrifice our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so John says that we love one another by providing the physical needs for our brothers and sisters in Christ. John is saying that we are to sacrifice our possessions, our world's goods, whatever that may be, to meet the needs of other people, other needs of brothers and sisters in this church family. However, John says that if anyone closes his heart against his brother, then how does God's love abide in him? That's a rhetorical question. And the answer demands us to say, it can't. God's love can't abide in him. Now, mind you, that this is not speaking generally about homeless people. Certainly, they have physical needs, and certainly there are spiritual needs. And of course, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to provide for them. We, if, whenever we're given opportunity, we can help them. But in this passage, however, I don't want you to think that just because you pass by a homeless person, then that means you don't have God's love in you. This passage is specifically talking about a brother or a sister in Christ within the church family who has a particular need. It is probably easier to verbally express our love for the church family rather than giving up our possessions and our goods. And if that's the attitude that we have, well, this sounds like, this sounds like a, a same expression that James talks about in his letter. In James chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Well, go in peace and be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? What a good is that? We can't say we have faith in Christ without demonstrating our faith through action. It is the same way John challenges us with these words in verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed and in truth. You see, what makes it difficult to, to love one another through our action is sometimes our indifference, our, our apathy. So sometimes we may say, yeah, I know, like this is a very basic, simple truth that John is talking about. I know that we are to love one another sacrificially, but I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel comfortable. It's so inconvenient. Listen, loving one another is not based on our feelings, but a commitment to act. It is a choice to do it, even though we don't feel like it. We can't say we love our church family 
if we can't express it by our actions in a genuine and honest and truthful way. And so we learn, according to verses 17 to 18, that love is not just demonstrated by words, but also by action. It is not by word alone that love is shown. It is not by word alone that we win people to Christ. As important as word is, because without words, there is no content, there is no message for them. They can't know the gospel, they can't know what sin is, and they cannot know what Jesus Christ has done for us if we only just you know, show our love for them without saying the gospel to them. However, if we proclaim the gospel with our lips, with our words, we still have to back up our claims by our actions and by our godly lives. We need to show and demonstrate that we are Christians by our love, not just by our words alone. One last thought. Verse 14, jumping back to verse 14, love is a proof of spiritual life. Love is a proof of spiritual life. John says, John says in verse, four, in verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. You see, this ties back to the assurance of salvation. We know that we have passed from death to life. Remember, we must read this passage in light of John's arch, overarching purpose found in verse John chapter 5, verse 13. John is saying that we can have assurance of salvation. We can have assurance that we are genuine believers and that we can know for sure that we have passed from death into life because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what does it mean to, what is meant by passing from death into life? Well, simply put, John was alluding to Jesus' teaching in John chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, which says, Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. God has given spiritual life, a resurrection power, to those who heard the word and believe in the Father and the Son. And if that's you this morning, if you're not a Christian this morning, you're called by Jesus to believe in the Son and in the Father, to believe in the gospel, to repent of your sins, and trust Christ for your salvation so that you will have eternal life in you. And for Christians, the evidence that we have passed from death into life is that we love one another. And by loving our church family, we can have assurance that we have salvation because love is an essential mark of the Christian life. And so, back to the question, is your life marked by love for one another? See, John makes a sharp distinction between the children of God and the children of the devil. The children of the devil are characterized by continuous hate towards the, towards the church, 
God's people and continuous in sin and in disobedience and in self-centeredness. The children of God, they have been born of God and they have eternal life in them by their faith in Christ and by the repentance of their sins. And as God's children, we as God's children, we, our lifestyle is to be marked by love and in holiness and in godliness and by walking in truth and, and by trusting in Christ for our salvation and walking in obedience to the Lord. And I'm not suggesting that we will love one another perfectly. Certainly, we're never perfect. But as the Holy Spirit lives in us, as the Holy Spirit lives in us and is bearing the fruit of love in our lives, we will grow progressively in truly loving one another. But what are some practical ways for you to love one another in a sacrificial way? And so let me just offer you very, very three uh, brief, three general practical considerations. First, Christian works and advancement of the gospel do require sacrifice on God's people. You see, it requires sacrifice of time, money, and energy. And some of you might give financially to the Lord so that, so that the church of Jesus Christ can continue to minister to the people in this community. This might require you to sacrifice your luxury, your lavishness of material goods so that the gospel can continue to go forth to the ends of the, of the earth. Some of you might have to sacrifice your energy and your time to serve the church family. Now, this is quite evident with the church live stream during COVID-19. Some members have made sacrifices of their time and energy and resources from March until this day so that you can tune in to this morning's live stream. And even at the risk of contracting the virus. And we should be grateful to God. We should be grateful to God for the folks here who love you and they want to serve you. But either way, the question still remains here. How are you, how are you contributing and making sacrifices lovingly to support Christian works and gospel advancement? Second, Christian love and self-sacrifice must happen at home. It must happen at home. What does this look like for husbands and wives? You see, today's culture glories in self-satisfaction and self-pleasure. It teaches that one is not personally fulfilled and gratified in marriage if we don't feel like, if we don't have feelings for one another anymore. It teaches that if one is not personally and, per, and, and fully fulfilled in marriage, then you, that's, you have the right to gratify. One has the right to, to break off in marriage and go into divorce, even at the cost of the other person, and the children. This, we see a lot of that in Hollywood, the celebrities. But this is not God's teaching. God teaches us that we must die to self in order that the other person might be fulfilled. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to die to self and to take up the cross and follow Christ. For it is only as that happens that we will find the fullness of God's blessing and personal satisfaction we meet other people's needs, we die to self, and God will bless us in return. And so if you want to enjoy God-honoring and satisfying marriage, then Ephesians chapter 5 
verses 22 to 33, is our go-to passage where wives are called to submit to their husbands and the husbands are to sacrifice their lives and sacrificially love their wives to meet her needs as a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, for the parents, as a father, I told Allison, my wife, that we don't just instruct Alethea, our daughter, what the truth is. The Bible, as much as it is important that we teach her the truth, but we must demonstrate our godly lives before her. If we have sinned against her, we must demonstrate humility by confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness. We must demonstrate Christ's likeness before her. And so for parents, I, can help, I cannot help but to tell you that the way you live your life matters to your children at home. It doesn't matter how many times you, you, you send your children to, to the children's program or the youth program as important as they are. Your life matters to them at home. You see, I have heard countless stories of children and teens turning away from God because their, their parents did not live according to God's will and acted in hypocrisy. The parents claim to be Christians, but their lives don't fit with that description. So parents, let me just challenge you with those thoughts. You live a godly life before your children. And third, lastly, sacrificial love should be practiced among believers. And I, I understand that this season makes it difficult and hard for us to practice loving one another in a physical way. But however, let me suggest that this season should not excuse us from loving one another. We are to love, we can love, by using the gifts that God has given us to serve one another. We can love each other by encouraging each other and by building each other up, either through our text message or by meeting with each other online. We can love one another by caring for one another and by praying for one another. We can love one another by bearing with one another when conflicts arise. We can love one another by seeking their good and not repay evil for evil. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Is your life marked by love for one another? Brothers and sisters, in conclusion, let us love one another with brotherly affection. Let us love not just with words, but with our actions. Let us love one another not because, because we are motivated by the love of Christ shown on the cross for us. Let us love one another so that we can tell the world that we are disciples of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times we have failed to love one another as Christ loved us. And we thank you that even though when we have sinned against you and against others, Christ died for our sins. His death is sufficient to cleanse us from all our sins. Oh, Father, thank you for this great gift of salvation that we don't deserve. Loving God, Teach us to love one another. Teach us to love one another in a sacrificial way. 
expand and deepen our love for you and for the church family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.